So it's uh, it's like no driving gloves, everybody. We've been sitting here for a few minutes, and Will and um, Sean have gotten way on topic for a change, and we just kind of jumped right into the recording. So let's just go, and we're going to see where we go. Derek's whining that we're going to change the topic, but maybe we'll get back to what our real topic was. <laughs> so typical no driving gloves. In your court, Will. So, um, Sean, being that, you know, the business you're in. And who's ever... Doing- Eating ice. Stop it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think that's Sean. That would be Sean. I wasn't eating it. Called out. <laughs> so, uh, Sean, being the the business that you're in of building race simulators, which I think is pretty pretty cool, actually. Um, with with NASCAR going to this simulated racing thing, I can imagine that. Um, it's opened a lot of eyes to that type of racing, online racing, you know, gaming in general. Um, I'm not a big gamer. Uh, I'm not a big NASCAR fan, but I see it. Um, I do follow a couple of NASCAR drivers on social media and, you know, it's pretty awesome just sitting there watching, you know, it's almost like they're in car camera, but it's like one of their kids recording them you know and they're sitting there you know racing and talking to their kids and their wife while they're you know drinking whatever they're drinking and it's pretty cool so i you know i don't keep up with enough to see how well it's going or how good it's doing for for your business of opening people's eyes and saying oh let me get me a race simulator blah 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 blah, whatever so i'll just you know with those four or five questions let you go from there it's the current situation is shedding a lot of light on esports in general. Um, any any gaming that can be turned into a competitive uh, outlet basically is esports, and there are all different kinds of genres of esports. I mean, you've you've got your your baseball, basketball, football, um, Madden, FIFA, soccer, NHL, um, and then you've got first person shooters, you know, Call of Duty, and and um, Fortnite and the like, and there's uh, there's e-motorsport that's that's it's always been there. Um, over the last five years or so, we've seen a pretty big uptick in or uptick, I guess, in the level of uh, I guess you'd say manufacturer, sponsor, and professional level involvement inside e-motorsport, um, the the electronic side of racing. Uh, I've been involved in this for like 20 years Um, and it's, uh, you know, seeing it grow from where I've seen it grow to where it is now and trying to find something, you know, a positive spin for, for what we're going through right now. I I think NASCAR uh, is, they're jumping in at, at, you could look at it two ways. You could look at it as them capitalizing on a horrible situation, which they are. Um, but you could also look at it as it's a horrible situation and people want to be entertained still. And most of the NASCAR drivers, and there are a bunch of other series that are jumping on board as well. Formula One is doing their own esports thing. And none of this is new either. I mean, it's it, NASCAR fully sanctioned the iRacing, I, iRacing NASCAR at the highest level for like the last eight or nine years. Um, there has been a NASCAR champion crowned in iRacing for damn near a decade, maybe a decade. And real money has been paid out. I mean, you you can literally, as a sim racer, make six figures. Easily. Make, if you're really good. I mean, I'm, I say easily, but um, there are opportunities to go out and become the Gran Turismo world champion, which pays out well, or the Forza world champion which pays out well or there's nascar heat on xbox and playstation that's the official video game of nascar and the official simulation of nascar is iRacing. nascar has championships running concurrently in in both of those platforms and they pay well and what we've really seen since the self-isolation or you know the the just everybody staying at home and tracks being shut down and and just all of this uh, sort of coming to a head. NBC Sports has televised 
racing online. Fox Sports has televised televised uh, e motorsport online. I think nine hundred thousand people is what they say watched the first NASCAR e motorsport race week week and a half ago, two weeks ago, whatever it was. Um, IndyCar is doing their online thing now. Six hundred, seven hundred thousand people watch that. Um, it's it's great. It's great to see um, what I've been involved with for damn near three decades grow the way that it's growing right now. It's it's very exciting from from that standpoint. I hate the fact that it had it, it's growing as a result of what we're all going through right now. But it's just it's kind of one of those things where it's fun, man, and it 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 is everything. It's everything that the driver would go through inside the car at the track other than G-loading, 130-degree in-car temperatures. And if you really want to simulate that, just put a heater, you know, put a blowtorch next to your simulator chassis if you want to. And the drivers can't get hurt. You know what I'm saying? But I mean, as far as the racecraft and the car setup, and uh, just basically everything else that goes along with a race weekend, these software titles have grown to the point where if you don't know proper chassis dynamics and shock setup techniques and how to get a car to turn that isn't turning or how to get a car to stop turning that's crazy loose and you know you're you're driving the car down in the corner and it's it's trying to come around on you mid corner off or it's, you know, it's, it's not turning on turn in down to the mid corner. all of the same terminology and technology that's our terminology and uh, skill set from a crew chief standpoint and a driver standpoint to, uh, to basically go back to that crew chief and say, this is what the car's doing right. And this is what the car's doing wrong. It's all there in sim. So I've got, I've got two more questions. Um, one is, what keeps them from cheating, adjusting their settings as they're racing versus when they pit, you know, like real NASCAR? And then another question is, so is it just NASCAR drivers that are doing this on Sunday afternoons? Or do have they invited, you know, like the world you know, e-racing NASCAR champion to join and race. Yeah, it's, it's a mix. It's, it's a mix. Um, you know, and we've like the NASCAR races are typically, uh, they will be Gander Mountain, Xfinity and cup drivers in, in that event. And the reason why they're doing that is a lot of the Gander guys, the truck guys and the Xfinity guys, they're younger and they have sort of come up with sim steering wheels in their hands. And they they kind of get it intrinsically. Some of the some of the cup guys just haven't adopted or adapted to the, the sim stuff. Um, and, and you know whether that's right or wrong, I I will never go at a guy that spends two hundred and fifty plus days in the real world on a racetrack and say you have to have simulation. But I will say that it would augment their time away from the track and it does pay dividends when you get back in the real car. So why would you not want to do it other than, you know, if you're spending 340 days a year on track, then, you know, you're probably okay. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah. but uh, you know, but, you know, simulation is, is it's everything that you want it to be. If you just want it to be fun, it's a hell of a good time. If you want to take it seriously and get down to, literally analyzing all of the telemetry that's pulled off a real world race car with regard to braking forces, when you're braking, how much you're braking, when you're letting off the pedal, when you're tipping in the throttle, um, how you're tipping in the throttle, corner entry speeds, mid corner speeds, exit speeds, wheel angle, um, everything that can be analyzed from a driver development standpoint and a chassis development standpoint in the real world can be analyzed in the sim. And it's like I said, it's, it's literally everything from casual gamers sitting there playing on their PlayStation or Xbox all the way up to, you know, 50, hundred thousand plus dollar simulators with full motion and crazy haptic sound and um, virtual reality 
and it's how real do you want it to be? I, I gave this analogy. Um, I had a friend interviewing me yesterday, actually. I gave this analogy. Simulation is literally exactly like horsepower in that horsepower costs money. How fast do you want to how fast you want to go determines how much you're going to spend. Simulation can be as real as you want it to be. It just costs X amount of dollars to get here. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's there's a correlation between the real world and, and simulation in a lot of in almost every way, other than the fact that when you're in a, a simulator, chances are you're not going to hit a wall and get hurt. Now, my question, and what was kind of confusing me on this is like I read a post today that um, IRL is going to race Barber Motorsports Park this Saturday on NBC at like 2.30 Eastern, plug. And over two dozen drivers are going to be there. Now, like you said, it's going to be IRL drivers. You know, it's going to be all the uh, a mix of open wheel. Yeah, they'll be rude to indie guys and, and IRL guys. Definitely. Is everybody in the same simulator? Is everybody playing with the same equipment at home? Um, no. So, you know... I don't know any of the drivers in IndyCar right now, but I'm just going to say old IndyCar driver names. But so you got Rick Mears playing on his PlayStation, and then you got Danny Sullivan, who's you know in a say uh, a Nemesis simulator, and you've got X number uh, whatever guy uh, you know Fittipaldi in a um, full motion 3D simulator. Do you think that makes a difference when it really comes down to it? Or is the fact I'm running on a PlayStation giving me an advantage over somebody who's actually physically in a 3D motion simulator and experiencing the no. G-loads in that? No, because, well, consoles, um, there's only a couple ways you can integrate a console to a motion platform to begin with. And cross-platform play. It started to happen a little bit with, with some games. It hasn't really bled down to motorsport other than the Forza series, which you can play on Xbox and PC at the same time against each other. But iRacing is PC only, so everybody is at least on a PC. Where you get the, the divergence, basically, is you know this guy could be running on a $500 wheel and pedal set that's basically entry level, and... You could have another guy that's literally using a $1,600 wheelbase that's a servo motor, direct drive with a $2,000 steering wheel that's almost an exact replica of the steering wheel that he has in his real car. It could be a replica of, or could actually be the steering wheel that they have in their real car with all of the buttons working exactly the same. Um, there is disparity in cost of entry, um, and they haven't – like if it's a if it's NASCAR, NASCAR is basically a spec series. Um, IndyCar is basically a spec series. There's a couple of manufacturers involved, but it's the same chassis, it's different motors, same chassis. Um, they haven't spec'd a, a simulator that they're saying you guys are going to use this chassis and this wheel and these pedals and this PC and everybody's running on an even playing field. Having said that, the guy that's in a two hundred fifty thousand dollar simulator doesn't necessarily have an unbeatable advantage against the guy that's sitting in a wooden chassis with a $400 wheel. I have literally seen over the years, some of the fastest racers, sim racers on the planet are still running what most of us would consider to be absolutely archaic setups and fast is fast. And it will find a way to beat you know that that level of talent finds a way to rise up no matter what you're driving with. And I, I don't think there's really. I, as a matter of fact, I know I've been involved in this long enough to know a two thousand dollar steering wheel is definitely better than a four hundred dollar steering wheel as long as you're comparing the right equipment. A $1,500 set of pedals with an actual hydraulic brake is infinitely better than a $90 set of pedals that doesn't have a load, even a load cell on the brake pedal. And all the brake is is just you know, how, however far you push the pedal and you get to the end and that's where you get lockup. You don't get the brake feel. Um, the more expensive stuff is typically more immersion it doesn't necessarily mean you can go faster with it it means that 
it's going to feel more like the real vehicle. But you can always gain that if that makes sense. I hope that makes sense. I'm not. I'm, I'm trying to put this in easy to understand terms. So, I don't. No one has an advantage. You just sit in the car and drive, man, and get as much out of it as you possibly can. So the situation we're in now, as horrible as it is, um, the, this is probably, uh, this is a bad analogy, but like I said, as horrible as the situation is, if you look for some good in it and you're a sim person, this is probably the best thing that could happen to simulator sports. Now, I don't know if they're playing, you know, they're playing baseball and you've got the Cubs and the Cardinals playing on, you know, the, the two teams playing each other virtually and online and people watching that. I know NBA is. Uh, I uh, NBA is actually firing up NBA 2K and uh, Madden with Madden football. They're firing up some football right now for esports. Um, so, it, it's being done. So it is probably the best thing. I know you and I, we played a business proposition last year with an esport arena in an esports center. And I've always said, I don't understand video games. I had a bad experience almost 40 years ago, 20, 37 years ago, and I don't play video games. So I don't understand any of this, but all of a sudden it's there. And a couple of weeks ago when this was first tossed around in the, the racing community, because that's the only people I follow online, everybody's going, oh, it's simulators. It's, you know, we're not going to pay attention. And every week, especially in the NASCAR crowd, it seems, they're going, wait a second, it's it's pretty real. If you didn't tell it's me it's a, if if you didn't tell me it was a sim, you couldn't tell the difference. And I've always complained about that on Facebook with you and Vincent and Matt and a bunch of these other guys that I'm friends with or used to be friends with or things like that, when they would talk about, well, well I went racing at uh, VIR this weekend. And I go, wait a second. I saw you Saturday afternoon at lunch. How the heck did you race at VIR at three o'clock on Saturday? And then I, and there's footage and there's cars and I go, wait a second, this has got to be sim. And <laughs> it just kind of, so wait, John, I gotta, I gotta ask, was the, the bad experience with a video game? Cause you're, you're the old guy on the show. I mean, did you never win at Pong? Is that. <laughs> no, it had to do with, uh, birthday party and spending all of my money and finding myself at the end of the birthday party because I still wanted to play video games, going around constantly digging in the little change things, hoping somebody left a quarter so I could play more. And after I realized what I was doing there, I haven't played video games. Uh, drove Amanda and Mary Ryan crazy that I never played video games. Wouldn't even play Mario Kart with them. And it drives... Zara and her children, Brad and Zane, crazy because I just don't grasp video games. And working with Sean last year, I started to get some of it, but I still don't understand how the highest paid people on YouTube are people that play video games and people watch them. <laughs> millions of followers that watch them every day, man. It's, it's, it is a thing. You know, what, whether you get it or not, it doesn't really matter. There's plenty of things out there that are things that I don't understand. Yeah, but I, someone I, someone loves them, so let them love it. And I'm looking at this from the sanctioning body standpoint, I guess. When, like I said, Sean and I really worked a business proposal last year, and it still may kind of come to fruition. But when I started to do the math and, and really just scraping the surface, you know, just opening up the can of frosting and just taking a little dip with your finger in the amount of money that is. And, it, and it's this huge pool. And, you know, I don't it's know. I don't know. Billions if, of dollars. Yeah, I don't know if the IndyCar series or NASCAR, Formula One, if part of this is to save some of the sponsorship dollars. You know, originally they talked about running these races, um, running them physically at the tracks with no spectators. And I think they woke up really quick going, the tracks can't afford to do that. If they don't have spectators, right. they can't afford to run the race. So I think as much as they used 
oh, this team member, and I'm sorry, I don't mean to be mean, as much as this team member got coronavirus and this team member did, and we don't want to risk traveling, I think when it came down to it, it really came down to the dollars that there was no facility they could go to and operate at for their money. And you can put together a broadcast and simulation that literally mimics well, the, exactly what they do I, at MRN and, and on Fox. And I mean, it's the overlays, it's the commentators, it's bringing the drivers and, and crew chiefs and sponsors up into the booth for interviews. It's, it's everything that the real world broadcast is. Well, the NBC broadcast this weekend is their three main IndyCar announcers. So they've got the real announcers. And when we get into this virtual, when you watch it, I know Formula One did it um, or does it. When you watch a Formula One race, a lot of the advertising you see project are on the walls or on the track or any of the background advertising is digitally projected there for the televised market that it's in. And so you're already, even if you're watching a real Formula One track and you're watching whomever go around the track and all the stuff on the side is already simulated, it's... It's a weird, you know, just a weird perspective when you get into it. And now all of a sudden we're here and now and, uh, you know. It's interesting. It's it's definitely interesting. And, I mean, this was going to grow to this level over the next three to five years anyway. Um, and, you know, being on the inside of motorsport the way that I've been and, and being – involved in simulation for as long as I have, I've seen it grow. And I, I know I have a very good idea where it's going. What's happening right now has accelerated it to a certain extent. When we come out of this though, and things go back to whatever the new normal is that we're going to have, um, there's probably, I mean, there's not probably, there will be a drop in what we're seeing on the sim side of motorsport. Um, and if we've got, what is it? IndyCar, NASCAR, World of Outlaws, IMSA, uh, Formula One. I think V8 Supercars is doing something over in Australia. There are all of these just, I mean, giant international series that have jumped on the sim bandwagon. When they go back to the real tracks, I have no delusions that Fox is going to want to have a weekly sim show. But they probably will want to have some highlights when they go back to the real world. And in the offseason, we might see something. Um, it, it's, it's accelerated it. I don't think it's, it, it hasn't taken the place of it. It's just accelerated. Do you think you're going to start seeing, because they gave it to me free, and ironically it's Sim. I went ahead and signed up for CBS All Access this week so I could catch up on my Star Trek and Twilight Zone and stuff. Do you see it being a sport that CBS All Access would put on or NBC's whatever their pay platform? Yeah. Or you're seeing it broadcast live on Hulu if Hulu yeah. gets to that. Totally. Um, it's not going to – I don't see it becoming a big three uh, network or big four network. Weekly, you know, weekly Saturday afternoon, it's not going to displace racing. But I don't – I have a feeling they're not going to let this momentum die and I have a feeling, as much as I learned the financial side, the video gaming, I think a lot of these companies and sponsors are going to learn the financial side of virtual gaming. And this is going to be a huge impact. And I think the sponsor dollars are probably going to go more virtually. You know, it's it's already Sponsor hard. dollars will definitely trickle over. Yeah, they'll, I mean, they'll definitely trickle over. And it's because, I mean... You don't have to dig deep to find stats on what video games have done over the last decade revenue-wise compared to Hollywood. Video games took over Hollywood several years ago as far as overall revenue generated per industry. You know, for, inter for entertainment industry, video games eclipse Hollywood by millions and millions. Well, well you, get, you get a $100 million opening weekend in Hollywood. It's mega, mega successful movie. A hundred million, I think, on an opening, you know, Tuesday for a video game, is is almost a failure anymore. It depends and, on the game. Well, I, I mean, it depends on the game, but I mean, it's it, overall the video game industry crushes Hollywood right now, and Hollywood knows that. 
That's why you see Hollywood getting involved in video game development. That's why you see actors getting involved in video game development. Um, actors, I think, are, are a little bit scared just because the technology and, and the visuals that can be produced with CG, with you know, computer-generated these days, it's getting close to where you could literally have virtual insert actor name here do whatever <laughs> you know i mean it's 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 pretty amazing as far as the overall visuals that that are capable or you know that, that well I, I can't remember what movie it was but a few years back and we might even be talking 10 years back there was a movie that actually went out and bought three or four real ferraris and crashed and totaled them during the filming of the movie because that was cheaper than actually doing the CG. I mean, you can do it spectacularly and do it so much safer for the stunt people in that. But I think there's also that there, there's a cost factor there and I'm assuming CG's come down a little it's bit. It's converging. Yeah, it's so. totally converging. Like the cost of, to digitize these days. And the other side of it is all of these really high-end video game producers, they already have probably 99.999 however many percentage points you want to carry that nine out to um, of all of the vehicles that you would ever want in a film already modeled at a exceedingly high level, like absolutely gorgeous models. So you just go to these studios and go, I need a Koenigsegg or I need a 67 Shelby GT 350. I need a, Pierce Arrow. I need, and it's there. It's already done. Um, and then you can do crazy things with it. Like you could take some of Derek's, uh, you know, some of Derek's Brass Arrow stuff. You could take some of Will's, you know, insanely, unbelievably gorgeous hot rods and digitize them and do whatever you want to do with them. And you don't have to worry about destroying this beautiful piece of art. Um, I, th I think that is the other side of the, the digitization that we're seeing in Hollywood and the video game industry is no one wants to go out and crash a 250 GT. <laughs> I mean, no one wants so to I'm, go out. I'm not even going to have a job in the near future. We're just going to, no, you're totally, them. no, we're you're going to build them on the computer and have virtual car shows. <laughs> you're going to build the cars that people want to <laughs> drive on their computer. I seriously. And, and I've actually, yeah. I just got into that. I just downloaded, uh, it's Forza horizon four. Um, from a studio called Turn 10. They are, they're a Microsoft studio and Horizon 4 is gorgeous. And the car count is insane. And they've got hot rods and they've got vans and they just, you name it, it's in Horizon 4. And there are people that are paying money. Like you build your car, Will, or Derek pulls a car out of the Corvette Museum and a studio comes down and they scan it. And they laser scan every single part of it. They put it into whatever game they're putting it into. And then people actually buy that car because they're never going to be able to afford to put it in their garage, but they still want to experience it. And on the flip side so of that, do that, Will builds his, you know, the green machine, the dart he built many years ago. And now he, well, not necessarily him, but the owner of that car could license it to the video game and get a couple of bucks for it. Totally. Or, or Derek on the Corvette museum side. You want to see something funny on that Forenza <laughs> or whatever you was talking about? Forza. Forza. Somebody's already built the rocket Camaro. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's that, right. It's totally crazy. Yeah. That was actually Sean. It might've been, <laughs> <laughs> but no, it's actually, I mean, it, you know, it's kind of funny. I mean, even, I mean, we're talking about how, um, how much of an impact, you know, what's going on right now in the world is having on this, but, you know, all the way back in 2010, 2011, just before I left, uh, the Henry Ford museum, Sony actually sent out one of their 3d scanning groups and scanned the, uh, the type 38 Lotus, the Jim Clark car from the 1965 Indianapolis 500 win. And, uh, cause they were putting it into one of their racing games. Probably um, Gran Turismo. I can't, it might've been, yeah, it probably was Gran Turismo. Um, you know, and yeah, I mean, they just, 
took, you know, a car that was in a museum collection, a, a significant car with, you know, great history and put it in the game. But then, you know, now come up um, basically 10 years and, you know, we have uh, on loan from General Motors at the Corvette Museum. It's actually going into our new performance gallery to talk almost exactly about what we're talking about tonight in our new exhibit. We have the um, Gran Turismo 6 Corvette um, that Corvette actually, you know, the designers actually designed it, built it in the design studio, took it to SEMA, unveiled it with Sony at SEMA. Um, to be the next Corvette in Gran Turismo Six, the Vision and, Gran Turismo car, like the the is it the is it the crazy wide body, like Vision of the Future car, or is it an actual like C seven or C six? No, it's an actual C seven, just uh, vamped up for the game. Okay. Uh, it's it's a matte blue finish with the yellow tinted headlights. Okay. Will, you might have even seen it at, at SEMA back when they built it. I don't remember right now offhand. I don't remember what year it is. Yeah, I remember um, that car. Yeah, the really matte blue finish, um, you know, lowered. It's got a, a kind of a brown, deep brown interior, yep. leather interior, yellow tinted lights. I mean, it's a sweet looking car, but, you know, it's, it, you know, and we're going to use it to talk exactly about, like I say, what we're talking about tonight, the influence of, gaming in the performance racing world and um you know but it's kind of cool 10 years ago you know they took a car a historic car that you know was already built already in a museum collection so on and so forth and scanned it but you know now i mean it's getting so significant that someone like chevrolet with a corvette actually partners with sony and builds designs and builds a custom built corvette to specifically go into the game and that's all it was for it wasn't like it was a street package it wasn't anything it was we're going to design this cool car unveil it at sema and it's the next gran turismo corvette I'm actually scrolling through pictures of it. I've got it up on up on our feed right now. If we do show this live, the the car that Derek's talking about, you can you can see on our video right now. I'm looking at it for. I've seen this before. It's yeah, it's amazing what what you can do with current level tech is pretty astounding. And I mean, there are manufacturers now that are literally using video games to premiere new models. And mm-hmm. it's, that's been happening for a while. And, um, there are, there are actually TV spots out there that most folks would never know, but they're shot with Gran Turismo or, or Forza. Um, they're rendered. It's, it's not true in-game footage, but manufacturers will take these console games and shoot video of them driving wherever. And then, render them out and put them into like Sony Vegas or whatever they're using for their editing software and create international commercial spots using video games. It's, it's that real now it's, it's pretty amazing. And like with what Derek has at the museum, I'm surprised no one has ever come to the museum and maybe they have, and we just haven't seen it, but I'm, I'm surprised there isn't a Corvette racing. Like it's just a, an actual Corvette racing experience. It's nothing but Corvette and a software package. Um, you know, it's, it's, and now that we're saying this, if there's anyone out there that would like to do that, I still have a software development team that I can call up. Um, it's yeah, it's the sky's the limit and will with, with the hot rods, man. I mean, I just downloaded a piece of software two days ago and I'm playing with it for the first time and it has an unbelievable drag race component in it fun you know take your hot rods line them up side by side make some passes the whole world can then experience what you guys are building at you know at at the shop and it's it's a way to get people into the car hobby especially the younger generations it's a way to get them interested in cars that we might not be taking full advantage of yet. Well, th- and, and that's something we've talked about in some previous episodes on, um, I've brought up that 
some of the manufacturers, Porsche, for instance, uh, I think it might have been with the 991, not the 992, unveiled like the 991 Turbo at CES rather than the LA Auto Show or Geneva or anything. They're taking advantage of these electronics uh, for, for forums. Now, granted, that's where a lot of the money is. I'll give them that. And, you know, that was the GT2 RS. Yeah. yeah. And yep. they're taking advantage of that. And uh, before you uh, became a, came on the show, Sean, many months ago, Will, Derek, and I talked about our kids into cars. And we kind of felt that what's happened is, yes, kids are as much into cars as you and I and Will and Derek are, except they do it differently. They play with Grand it, Theft Auto. Yeah, they, they, <laughs> well, they, they build them online and yeah. they, they come up with their fantasy cars that way. And they live their, you know, they kind of live their lives in this virtual world. Now, granted, it do, does it help them when they, be, you know, become 16 or 18 and get their license and start driving? Well, yes, because what do they do? They play with the computers on the cars. And that's the, really the only thing left. I mean, Will, Will will tell you, I'm sure, yeah, you can modify whatever to make or do whatever. But I think some of the cheapest, easiest horsepower is just remapping software. And that's really the difference between some of the models of cars. You know, you buy the base level or you buy the next level. It's not the car changed or the motor changed. The software programming changed. Do you have input on that, Will? Oh, absolutely. I mean, um, you can you can gain a lot of horsepower just by plugging a laptop in a car and, and changing it up. Um well, well, on the say that was it the the rocket racing Camaro or something else? I remember, you know, one of your guys you specifically hired at the shop. I don't know if he's still with you, but you specifically hired him because of his knowledge of the electronics and I, I can't remember right. what fuel injection system or whatever. And you spend right. a bunch of money every year to send some of your crew, and I think this year you went on the team oh, that trip to yeah. learn some of this computer programming. Absolutely. Uh, unfortunately, that guy's not with us anymore, but, you know, there, there's guys out there that, I mean, that's all they do for a living. They fly is, all over the world. Is Right. Plug a yeah. laptop in a car, yeah. and whether you do it on the street, whether you do it on a dyno, um, I mean, we've done it in the, in the driveway of our shop, just... Um, launching a car and slow motion video and you know all sorts of crap just um and just changing stuff in the computer and and you know the rocket camaro now i mean this car it's it's got more freaking sensors on it than than the law should allow and you can go and data log it and go back and read just about everything that you want to read that moves on that car. As you have the shocks and everything censored up on that car, don't you? Yeah. 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 That's yeah. Awesome. Um, now, granted, all of it's not completely done and wired and figured out yet, but it's all physically there. Um, the shock travel sensors are mounted. I mean, traction control. I mean, you name it. Yeah. It's, uh, we can data log just about everything we want to data log on that car. All um, of the data you're pulling off that car, what I used to do when I owned the so – well, what our teams used to do when I owned the software companies or co-owned the software companies, um, we would take the data off of that car and then plug it into a simulation. And literally from the ground up, we would create the actual suspension geometry of the car, right. the chassis geometry of the car – and then we would go into and set up the motor parameters, your horsepower and torque curves, how the car was behaving at tip in versus wide open throttle and partial throttle and all anything that you data logged on that car, we would then plug into the sim and I could basically recreate your car. Like if you wanted to take that car out to Barber or over to Road Atlanta and data log it, then I would plug it into Road Atlanta and I would get that car to be accurate within about 2% of the real world car. 
And typically the simulator is going to be a little bit quicker than the real world car. And some of it has to do with just the way that the software works. The other part of the fact that the fact that cars are typically a little quicker in the simulator is whoever's driving them isn't fearing death. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's literally what we, what we found out is you're, you're always going to push just a little bit harder in the sim than you would in real life. Right. Um, just because if you hit a wall, there's no consequences. It's escape button, new car, try it again. Um, but we, but yeah, uh, it's, it's amazing what you can do these days. You can take, you know, obviously a, a new LT5, you know, you're not going to go in there and change a bunch of crap and gain a lot because it's pretty well on the, you know, it, it's on the edge anyway or close to the edge. I mean, don't get me wrong. You can go in there and increase some stuff and and get more power out of it, but nowhere near like what you could see increased in, in, in a stock LS1, you know, yeah. or a 5.3. Uh, or a six two, you know, or like anything in, with boost. Right, right. Like my wife's my wife's Yukon has the six two in it. Um, you know, we could, you know, free up the exhaust a little bit, put a cold air intake on it, and you're gaining considerable amount of horsepower just by going in and changing some parameters in the ECM. Timing air fuel. Oh yeah. Yeah. And and even injector pulse and even even in the even in the trans, you yeah. know, you can you can mess around with the transmission so much now to gain. It's not necessarily horsepower you're gaining, obviously, but if you're going, you know, quarter mile times is what you want. You can pick up drastically in quarter mile times just by moving shift points around versus, you know, throttle position to RPM to speed you know, dictates whatever you want to shift and how, how you want it to shift. And it's, um, yeah. What you can do with ECU tuning is nuts, man. I I had a 2014 Mustang GT. Oh, I'm sorry. And Shut up. He didn't crash it either. (laughs) I I didn't crash it. I never hit anyone. I never hit anyone with it. Um, it it never, it never went in a ditch. It never went in a ditch. It was, it actually made some really impressive passes. Um, so, and it was a so manual transmission you, car, too. I take it you didn't have it very long. I had it for a year and a half. That, there um, you go. I had it for a year and a half. That's but long for Sean. The only reason I'm bringing it yeah, that's that's an eternity for me. Um, the only reason I'm bringing it up is we're talking about ECU tuning. And that car from the factory, it was the 355 gear car. Um, but it was, it was bone stock. And it was running like 1310 at 106 or something like that from the factory. We tuned it. The gentleman that tuned it is actually the guy that was responsible for uh, bringing mass air to the five liter and, and all of the Fords back in the eighties. And um, Jim is a bad man. I mean, he, he really knows what he's doing. And most of the ET that we ended up getting out of that car, the car was on, uh, we put GT 500 cat back exhaust on it. Um, it had the 355 gear. It had a panhard bar to, to lessen the wheel hop a little bit. Still a, a tune and a throttle body that was designed to go with that tune. And the best pass I made on it with just that was a 1210 at 116 miles an hour. And that was mainly, it was just getting all of the factory aids, that, like the um, it would hang the throttle really high in between shifts from the factory just to uh, soften the shift and it would pull timing and it would do all kinds of crazy stuff in between shifts to lessen the blow on the transmission in the rear end. And that alone was good for three quarters of a second, basically. And the rest of it was the throttle body and the tune and stuff. But yeah, what you can do with an ECU, even on, a naturally aspirated car these days is pretty crazy. But when you go to like a turbo or a supercharged car, what you can do with ECU tuning is mind numbing. Well, I know they had a kit for my, well, I'd say my SHO, but I had, I had a 17 and the ECU was locked oh, up that- a little bit more. But if you had a 16, 15 or a 16, you know, they would come out of the box with 375 horsepower and 350 pound feet of torque or so. And, for less than a thousand bucks, I could bump that up to 500 horsepower 
and I always made the comparison, and people looked at me like I was nuts, that that's a 3.5 liter EcoBoost motor, uh, you know, twin turbocharged, everything. It's the same motor that's in the Ford GT. Now, I know the Ford GT's got a slightly different crank and, a, you know, uh, different rods and pistons. But it's, a, I believe, same compression ratio, same same basic everything. And they just, you know, they made it a little bit stouter so it would last longer with, you know, what what what's the new Ford GT? 650, 700 horsepower? Yeah, it's like 640, I think. And no, that's the so, so I really believe you could run that to that motor. You might not get more than four or 500 miles till it blew up because it might not take it. I don't think the transmission would take it. And, well, I mean, you're, you're more dealing, transmission than internals, probably. Well, you're dealing, yeah, you're dealing with two completely different transmissions at that point. But it's still basically the same motor, and with some tuning, you, you know, it, it's effectively the same thing. And it's, it's all software. It's all zeros and ones, and uh, just got to figure, <laughs> figure out the game. Those zeros and ones directly correlate from the real world over to the simulator, and the zeros and ones in the simulator directly correlate to the real world, and that's why you're seeing so many manufacturers. I mean, there there isn't a manufacturer on the planet these days that doesn't have a sim version of whatever the new car that they're building is well before that car ever hits the road in real life. And it doesn't have to be a hot rod. I mean, it's literally Corollas, Camrys. Civics, Honda Fits, Hyundai's, whatever you know, whatever you're whatever you're looking at, you can bet that at a factory somewhere, there is a simulated version of that car that's been rolling around for God knows how many virtual miles before they ever build the prototype. Well, I'm going to do uh, no. Dri- I'm going to do talk no- about a boring ass job. <laughs> I'd love go it. Drive my simulator all day. I'd love it. I'm I'm that geek, man. I just want to drive. I don't care what it is. I don't care whether it's zeros and ones or out in the real world. I just just give me a steering wheel. Now I, I'm swing this all the way around in no driving glove style, and unfortunately, this was part of the conversation we had before we started recording, and it was about fabricators. And we were I was just talking, or I was just involved in a conversation on. One of the, my Facebook groups, I can't remember if it was my fiberglass group or our custom coachwork body group or whatever group I was on, and they're talking about wooden bucks and making wooden bucks and, you know, either making a fiberglass body over a wooden buck or um, making, an, you know, hammering aluminum over a wooden buck the way they, you know, did it old school wise or And then all of a sudden the comment came up that you can basically go on Google and look up damn near every car, and I'll say interesting car. I don't know if you can actually find it for a Tercel. But you can find a CAD model or a vectorized model of a car with all the dimensions, and then you run it through a slicing software, and you can build that buck. And then, or you reverse that, and you can, if you have a big enough CNC, you can machine that car, or you know, by removing material as opposed to adding material, and build that car virtually and uh i mean i do it with my 3d printing a lot of times i can find vector models online and granted i'm not building full-size cars i don't have that big of a 3d printer but i pull things off offline and i can 3d print them just and you just scale the model to whatever size printer you have or whatever you need it's it's a very interesting world the these zeros and ones and um, I don't know how this. <laughs> I'm about to share another screen. Well, what good does that do the guy that had to call in tonight because his internet sucks? It allows you to recreate all of the Corvettes that you need to recreate. Yeah, but I can't see the screen. So come on, man. Oh well, if we show the if we actually show the video for this, then listeners. Can can see the screen, uh, but I mean this is well, you know going back to what going back to what John said though. I mean, you know it's it's interesting because you talk about the three D printing, and I mean you get into a whole world of I mean if you have a big enough three D printer, I mean you're going to be able to print full body parts, and I mean you know, people could be building 
basically full car bodies around, I mean, around their simulators and oh, they are. Yeah. And well, and I mean, even at the Corvette museum, we have an actual C six Corvette that was turned into a simulator. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they, the engine came out, everything came out and it's got all kinds of controls on the suspension you know, what you're talking about, Sean, you know, all the telemetry, all those ones and zeros are programmed into the computer that controls all of the movement of that car. And it's like you're in a C6 Corvette on the track yep. and you're sitting in the middle of the museum and people love it. I mean, people love driving that thing. Yeah. And, you know, I'm, you know, with this 3d printing capability and, and things like that, I can, uh, you know, there's going to be people with full car bodies around their simulators, so they feel like they're in the real car. It's already being done. It's it's definitely yeah. already being done. And then there's a guy and his son. I don't know if you have you seen the 3D car printing site. There's a, there's a guy and his son that have literally. They, it's not quite an exact replica of an Aventador. But, oh, the Aventador! Yes, yeah, yeah. I saw that. Yep. I mean, it's that's all three D printed. It's three D printed panels wrapped in carbon. Um, I've actually interviewed the the guy that that's responsible for that. It's an amazing project, and that's what's coming. I mean, as as in home three D printing becomes more and more prevalent, we're definitely going to see more people printing their own panels. And I have a picture up right now in uh, it's a site called Turbo Squid that you can go to, and you can, there's thousands of vehicles from every era that you can get on turbo squid and just buy the CAD model for. And I have a 2016 Aston Martin Vulcan that's up right now. And the whole car is modeled. I mean, it's, it's literally right there and it's modeled one-to-one scale and you can buy this CAD model. Let's see here. Do they have a price on this one? Most of these models, you can, yeah, this the, you can buy this CAD model for ninety nine dollars. Is it Aston Martin certified? No. Is it really close to one to one scale? Yep, <laughs> it's it it's done in and the it's the whole car, its wheels, brakes, suspension, undercarriage, interior, roll cage, door panels, door shells, all of the skin, the roof, the hood, the trunk. It's all of it. And yeah, you'll be able to print that, which is pretty crazy. Well, we keep saying 3D printing with that, but you can take that same model and reverse it, like I said. And as opposed to additive creation, you can, um, all of a sudden, I can't, you can subtract. You can take a big block of foam and ha- create that. And then you have, well, totally. you would have a mold to pop fiberglass bodies, or you'd have a, You'd have a body that you could pull a mold off of and then, you know, make more and more and only have to get access to the machine once once or twice. I mean, to 3D print a car, you've got to have a massive machine, which is still thousands and thousands you know, of dollars. But you can actually get some, you know, four by eight, five by 12 CNC's and good solid CNC's. For twenty, thirty grand. Now, yeah, that's not a drop in the hat, but that's definitely much more affordable than this stuff was five years ago, and very, um, it's very, very obtainable with a little bit of investment or a little bit of work. I was listening to another podcast this week, like I always do, and they were talking about a three D printed car that was presented to this host to test drive. And he are presented to this host to do an article about, and he refused to do it because they wouldn't let him drive it. Well, it's come out that basically they believe that was a proof of concept car. And now they have 3D printed the entire body chassis of this car or uh, from this company of a car that is a drivable functional thing. There's like um, various websites you can just google 3d printed cars and there are a lot of people 3d printing cars 3d printing boats 3d printing just about anything and if they're not printing the whole thing they're printing a lot of components on it i know fuller just built a motorcycle that he 3d printed the wheels and he 3d printed the exhaust 
And there's no way these ever could have been created without 3D printing. And we're seeing that right. more and more in the uh, custom car world. And uh, the same models that you're building in real life can be translated to the simulator side of things, too. And, and if again, you want to tie it into the... Well, I think we've taken this digital and we've... Basically, it's still kids in their cars. The The kid plugging away tonight coding for something for his 3D printer, he could very well be a car guy and he could be very very well design the next cool-ass wheel that comes out that's not my constantly bitched-about five-spoke design. <laughs> <laughs> but and in reality, that might be the only way to get away from that five-spoke design is 3D print things because you can put material where it absolutely needs to be and remove material where it really shouldn't be and build some super lightweight but immensely strong components. It's just, you know, it's yeah, and just your, the nature, your, nature of the car cars in the digital world. Your CAD model goes straight to finite element anal analysis, and that design is basically completely and totally approved before you ever forge it, before you ever put a big block of billet in a CNC machine and, and cut it out. But, you know, it's, it's literally, you know, it's going to work before you ever physically build it. And it's that part of the tech is just amazing to me. Well, we're absolutely not on the topic we were going to discuss tonight, but I hope it's a fairly interesting topic. I not sure. <laughs> everybody's input on it. Now, Sean and I enjoy some of this techie stuff. I, know, I, think we'll, I mean, Derek and Will are, I mean, yeah. you guys are, they, they chimed in and, and there's rel there's relevance in both of their worlds for this stuff. And, and it's, it's awesome, man. I, I well, Will's the I, one who brought up the topic and started asking you about it. And I, you know, I, I finally said to Will guys, if you don't shut up, I'm just going to start recording because, <laughs> I knew this would be a 40, 40 minute conversation and really go well, down. Here, a I'll, I'll, I'll make it go a little bit longer and down even more of a rabbit hole because we don't. You know, you know, Sean was, <laughs> Hang on. Hang All on. right. No, hang on. I'm about to prove John wrong. Wait for it. <laughs> Wait for it. Wait for it. Oh, okay. oh um, no, no, I mean, results. Oh, so, <laughs> That says motorcycles. So, no, where I was going to go, no, where I was going to go with it is okay. You know, I, I mean, the three D printing thing is cool because, especially with some of us that are, you know, that collect the early cars, the antique cars. Um, you know, I mean, when I start, you know, thinking about my Peerless, um, you know, it's there might be seven or eight of them left known in existence. Uh, same thing with my Overland model 90 roadster. I think there's about seven of those left parts are hard to come by. So, you know, this 3d printing, as we all know, and we've already seen done quite a bit helps us print parts, whether it's, you know, uh, the molds to get those parts recast or just a part that we can fake on the car using a, a 3d printed piece but you start talking about simulators and you know it's it's going to be a way in my opinion and my thought process there's going to be a way and an opportunity especially in the museum world to allow visitors especially kids to experience early cars without them having to actually drive a real one. So one of the ideas that was, was played around with at Henry Ford museum and, and I should check back with that, you know, with, with my colleagues there. Um, but one of the things we were played around with and actually Roush did kind of a prototype of back when I worked there was a, a ba very basic at the time simulator of 999 Henry Ford's race car um, with the kind of dual killer steering setup and you know 
I mean, no one's ever going to get the chance to drive that car again, but building a simulator that can use all of the information that can be pulled off of that, the actual car and build that simulator. So it rides the same, it, you know, steers the same, like Sean was saying, yes, you're not going to hear the sound of that engine again, but you have an opportunity to feel, yeah, you could get close, but you have an opportunity. Yeah. You have an opportunity. These people are going to have an opportunity to feel something that no one's felt for 70, 80 years. You know, I mean, it's, and that, that's one of the things I love about doing what I do and getting to drive some of the cars I get to drive and, and have driven in my career is I'm one of the few people that have had the chance to drive some of those significant cars and understand how they feel and operate. But if we start bringing the simulator technology into museums that have some of these antique cars that you know wouldn't want to be driven anymore, you know, regular, especially by someone who doesn't know how to drive one, but we can give the feeling of what it was like to drive one of these cars back in the turn of the century. I think that's an opportunity that some people would love to have. And I've been doing that for 20 years with race cars, Derek. I mean, it's, it's with the current technology that we have available on the simulation side of things, there is literally no brake feel that I can't replicate. There is no uh, steering input and feel through from the wheels through whatever the rack or the steering box up through the column into your hands, I can replicate with astounding realism. The, okay. The so basically just build a, like build a simulator that has absolute, like almost no brakes, um, very little input in the steering and you've got an early race car. Mm-hmm. I got it. <laughs> got it. We can we can do it. And what you're saying there, Derek, is is amazing because years ago um, we were involved with a, a, a couple projects that were creating living, breathing 3D worlds. And it was basically you joined as an avatar. I joined as an avatar. We had the same conversation we're having now inside a 3D environment. We took that environment to the Smithsonian and we're talking to them about actually digitizing an entire museum and allowing people to walk through it. You've just taken that idea a step or three further with being able to replicate vehicles through simulation, 3D technology, simulation technology, and allowing people to experience what was on the road back in the early 1900s, what people were racing in the 1920s and 30s and 40s. And um, I, man, who do you know that we can make some phone calls to? <laughs> I'm, I'm like, I'm totally. Oh, I know a lot jazzed. of people. Yeah, let's let's make those phone. I'm totally jazzed about that idea and being able to preserve that. And I know you know a lot of people. I know everybody on this, in this, <laughs> in this conversation right now. We all know a lot of people, and being able to showcase those cars to generations that will never even probably get to see one in person. That's huge. Absolutely huge. And we can, we can preserve that, man. It's, it's the technology is definitely there to do it and it's exciting. And just so you know, I have an actual 3d model of a Zamboni 525 ice machine showing on the desktop right now. I know you can't see it because. Well, sucks to be you, John. (laughs) Well, the the nice thing about seeing the Zamboni 3d print is I'll take it because I don't have to look at Sean and Will now. So. Oh, there you go. Well, see, and that's that's one of the reasons I called in tonight, guys, is I just, you know, I didn't want you guys to just be staring at my, you know, just good looks and being so jealous. I figured it was your way of embracing the show about digital conversation by going as analog as you almost can go these days. (laughs) Well, I didn't call in on the rotary, but, you know. Something tells me you might actually still have one of those. But, but, but I, I wonder if I, I don't think that would work because, I mean, there's no tone. So how would you make that work with Zoom? I wonder if I could use my voice to make the beeps of the tone. Huh. Speaking of rabbit holes. Yeah. <laughs> with that, I'm going to go ahead and wrap this up. We're over the 60 minute mark. Um, I know uh, everybody here has got work to do still. Amazing. <laughs> 
amazing is we're still doing this podcast and all of us are still fortunate enough to be working, whether or not we're making income, but we're working. Um, so I'm just going to say goodnight, guys, unless somebody throws something out there during their goodbye. Hang on. Um, Hang on one sec. Time's up. All right, Will. I'm not Will. I'm sorry, Derek. Say say your word that we close the show with. Did he leave? I don't. Sambo. There it is. I'd put the picture back up just for you. And his phone broke up in the middle of it. Even his phone. That's because you were talking. It wasn't because I broke up. Because you talked over me. You can't wait two seconds. <laughs> you know, if you if you if you rode more Zambonis, you'd understand a slower pace of life. Okay. Oh my God. Like I said last week, that is a very slippery slope you are addressing there. But oh my. God. I hope it's not a slope. It's supposed to be perfectly flat. I'm out of here, guys. Good night. Adios.